Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Hand on her. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. He is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We assume if you're listening to the episode, you've already seen the movie. All right, buddy. This is one that we've seen numerous times each. Uh, I'm assuming a big part of both of our childhoods and uh, a long time since we've actually sat down to watch this one. Uh, yeah, I think I mentioned it perhaps when we were doing the Masters of the Universe episode that this was the first movie that I ever went to like the movie theater to see. Um, mm-hmm. Would have been about six years old, went with my cousin. Uh, I was huge in the Ninja Turtles. So, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely nostalgia, definitely a big part of my childhood. Honestly, very surprised when you picked this one for the review this week. Uh, I knew we'd have a decent conversation on it. It's a property that almost everybody is somewhat familiar with. Um, or should be. Or should be. But it was also something I was thinking of after watching The Wizard, where they played the first uh, Turtles game. Oh, that was such a terrible video game. I loved it until I got to the point in the dam where I just couldn't beat it anymore. So I just played the <laughs> beginning over and over and over. And I was okay with that because I'm like, I have no idea how much is left of this game. I know this part's hard, but this part's fun, so I'm going to keep playing. For me, um, <laughs> the big, the biggest game of theirs, in my memory, is uh, uh, the second one for the NES. Yeah, um, I know a lot of people love Turtles in Time and everything, um, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 for the NES is one of my all-time favorite video games. Well, it's the arcade game, right? I Exactly. They made it more like the cartoon for all of us kids. I never actually played it on the NES. I only ever played it in the arcade. Um, oh, crazy. Yeah, and then I owned um, Turtles in Time for Super Nintendo, so I had a much bigger attachment to that one. Um, yeah. Was uh, the arcade game a four-player or two? Four. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the downside of playing with the Nintendo is you only got two players. Well, I mean... But it was if, still a great game. If you don't even have a friend, then it doesn't really matter. Hey... I'm referring to me. I was always playing by oh. myself. Oh, okay. Uh, on occasion, right, you would come to the arcade and somebody was already in a level. So you would hop on. But Yeah, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Those are fun times. Um, were you ever into the uh, comic books? No. No. It was just the, the 80s cartoon show that started my yeah. fandom. I did ultimately, even though I'd kind of grown up a little bit more, watch like the 2004 rebooted cartoon which was vastly underrated in my opinion um the was it just the tmnt movie or like you're talking a tv show the tv show the tv show was really really good i might be wrong on the year but it was the second Hmm. time they did a an animated series it was really really good nice i um i never read the eastman laird books but i did read the uh, archie comics run of the turtles um they're terrible don't get me wrong but it was really fun to see some new villains and characters that I wouldn't really encounter in the uh, in the cartoon. Uh, yeah. Did you ever collect any of the um, the figures? Of course. Yeah, same. It was He-Man and Turtles, and to a lesser extent, GI Joe for me. Oh, it was just Turtles for me. Did you have a favorite one? 
like a favorite Ninja Turtle? Yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody had their favorite. Uh, yeah, I had the best favorite, the right favorite. Mm, I'm nervous. Okay, go ahead. Well, I want to I want to see who you think that was. I want to see how right or wrong you are here. I don't think you would go with my pick, but I was always a big Donatello guy. Nobody likes Donatello. He's the fucking brains, and he's got a bow staff. He's I mean, awesome. He was voiced by Corey Feldman in this movie, so that does give mm-hmm. him some points. Man, it gives uh, some sway for me here, too. Uh, no, it's Raphael. Clearly Raphael. Yeah, I didn't know if you were going to go Raph or Leo. I, I could have seen it either way. Nobody likes Leonardo. He's the vanilla you'd, ice cream dude. You'd be surprised how many people like him. I don't get it myself. He just—I think he's the most. Like, he's the popular favorite. So I think our, it goes Leonardo, then Raphael, then Michelangelo, then Donatello. So are we here to talk about Ninja Turtles, or are we here to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie? I'm talking nostalgia right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, well, that covers both, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, we were talking. Uh, sequels before uh, before recording and how i definitely watched uh part two more than any of the others and nobody should watch part three um you think this is like uh, part two is the one you also saw the most yeah easily I-, I think i think it was because it was the closest to having bebop and rocksteady until we recently actually got those two characters i was so disappointed as a child though but the movie was so good there's no reason it couldn't have been bebop and rocksteady there wanted... had to be some some creative decision for some reason. Yeah, new toys to sell, probably. Oh, good point. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's uh, let's dive into this. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing, boss. All right. Uh, we open on a bustling New York City. A news broadcast informs us of an ongoing crime spree of various degrees has left the NYPD baffled as there are no witnesses to any of the crimes. Let me I'm get calling a bullshit on that right away. No witnesses. Oh, we, we even see it later. But we get a scene, uh, a pickpocketing scene of a wallet being passed person to person. But the last hand we see to take the wallet is in full ninja gear. And going back to what you were just saying, I find it very hard to believe nobody would see that. Uh, so I guess we're just left to people shrugging it off as, nah, it's New York. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but, at, at one point, there's... No, I'll talk about it when we get to it, but I guess there is a purse snatch? Yeah, that's the scene I was talking about later on. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, so same, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, next we get a delivery driver uh, who's doing his rounds, and his entire truckload is stolen in a matter of seconds. I like that. I Yeah, I liked it too, completely impossible. Completely impossible, but obviously you use the simple tactic of panning the camera off of the back. They show oh, yeah. the truck just kind of slightly moving as if people are climbing in and out of it. And then they pan back over and it's empty, obviously. But the thing is, the thing is we hear it. We hear them <laughs> taking things. He's standing right next to it. Well, he's in the middle of a conversation. I guess. Um, how would you describe the lair that we see where the thieves are hiding their, their shit? It's like a warehouse with scaffolding and ripped tarps. I don't know. Uh, the set from Prayers of the Roller Boys was still just kicking around, so... <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. It's pretty close. Uh, the reporter from before, April O'Neil, leaves the TV station late at night and stumbles upon a theft in progress. Sam Rockwell pulls a knife on her and tells the other thieves to get her purse. Lights are smashed by a sigh, 
a fight occurs in the darkness, and the police arrive to find the robbers tied up. April finds the sigh and hides it before the police help her away. Masked eyes watch from under a manhole cover, and the figure utters the word, damn, before disappearing into the sewer. Um, I remember seeing this in theaters and thinking, oh my god, the turtles are swearing in this movie? It's going to be amazing. <laughs> what did but you I think also, when you saw it now? Uh, visually, it holds up quite well. I uh, found it to be a tactic that's used more than once in this, and I think oh, it's yeah. to, to limit the use of like the costumes, the animatronics, because it's not the only fight where they get rid of visibility and just do it through sound, so you don't actually have to see the turtles fighting. Oh, yeah. I'm, well, the labor behind moving those, those costumes, those suits, would be insane. Yeah, so um, I, I, think... I know one guy was drinking four, or I was drinking a gallon of water a day just to stay hydrated because he was sweating so much. Yeah, but I, I never, I never understood the use of the sigh for, for Raph. I mean, they look cool, but I always thought they were more of like a defensive and disarming weapon. Yeah, he disarmed the light from the lamp. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just seems like the other three have offensive weapons. And Raph, who's, I would say, probably one of the more bullheaded aggressive of the four, does not. I mean, it still has... It's interesting. It still has pointy ends. Like, but they're <laughs> rounded. On the sides, the center one is still just a dagger. <laughs> no way, man. It's not. You can see it when April pulls one out of her bag later. Oh, it's okay. a whole... Every... I'm not... And I've seen, I've seen real ones, and they're all, like, all points rounded, so... I always found it weird, but like he still looks probably the most badass of the four of them. Well, because he is the most badass. Mm-hmm. Well, five minutes, 37 seconds into the movie, we get our first look at live-action Ninja Turtles as they head back to their home. Uh, I remember that blowing my mind, too. Uh, the costumes were, and I just said, still are absolutely amazing. They um, hold up very well. Better than any of the other movies. Yeah, I think this was what the last movie that Jim Henson was alive for to do. I believe it was his son Brian who was helming the company at the time that that did it. I, I could be mistaken, but I know Brian Henson's name does come up. Okay, I but thought it, I read something like in the trivia that this was the last one that that Jim Henson was alive for, and then obviously in the later ones he even for just say consulting purposes was not available to help yeah all right like there, there's a definite shift in quality from part one and two and let's not even talk about three uh they regale in the first battle and tell their master splinter about the night the ever wise rat gives them much needed life advice and then tries to get them all to meditate they instead dance around to the song tequila changing the word to ninjutsu and I'm completely baffled as to how Splitter ever got them to focus on anything. <laughs> They're 100% ADD turtles. Um, yes, and I'm already starting to find issues with their portrayed um, personalities. Yeah. Like, this scene especially, Leonardo is just so jubilant, and he's actually participating in kind of like the 
celebration of the victory that doesn't yeah. seem like him at all. Well, he was the stoic one. Yes. He would be the one that would be like, guys, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves type thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It, there are some definite issues with the portrayals of the characters. I was just always happy to see them on screen. Uh, Raphael dons a trench coat and goes to find his missing weapon. Donatello no, he doesn't. Michael no, he doesn't. Oh, he goes outside, yeah, to blow off steam of sorts. No. What? He says... They ask him where he's going. What does he say? Well, obviously, I just wrote these fucking notes and didn't include it, so I don't remember. He said he's going to watch a movie. Is that all was... right? Okay. He even says it with attitude. And I thought this was going to stand out for you because... He goes to the movies, but they also show what he was watching. He didn't watch it, though. He walks past it. No, he walks out of the theater. All right, hold on. We're we're pausing. All right, I was wrong. He does say he was going to see a movie. Uh, I missed the clip where he was walking out of the theater. I just saw him turn around and comment on... Uh, where did they, where come, they up? come up with this crap? Yeah, so for I'm a critter. I'm going to assume you've seen that movie, because I haven't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen all of the Critters movies. And is he right that it's not good? No, it's great. But before that, uh, I think I said Donatello joins Michelangelo to talk, uh, or who is waiting for his pizza to be delivered. Corey Feldman asks whether or not Mikey has put thought into what will happen after Splinter dies. Uh, Mikey is more concerned that his pizzas are late. Uh, we then get a pizza dicing scene where Splinter gets pizza thrown on his head. Um, my only problem with this scene is that he's a an old rat who can hardly move, and I don't know how he's getting that cheese out of his fur. <laughs> <laughs> it goes right in, man. It like runs down his head. I was like, that's that's a greasy rat right there. I always had a complaint with the pizza scene myself. Yeah, because. Like, it's three bucks off if the pizza guy's late, right? And yeah. he's like, well, I couldn't find the place because it's a, it's a sewer grate, obviously, right? But it very clearly shows that he doesn't even park before Michelangelo says that the time is up. Yeah. There's a lot of product placement in this movie, too. Yeah, yeah. And the, like the, the trivia thing that I read was, Pizza Hut was doing all of the marketing and sponsorship and had all of the tie-ins. Yeah. But Domino's ends up being the one that they use for product placement in the movie, which is kind of weird. They even use the Noid. Yeah. Which yeah. is crazy. But the first, I think the first big product placement we get is Burger King. I miss that. Oh, yeah. It's just a bunch of uh, fast food wrappers all over the their home. Ah, Okay. Uh, okay, so after we, we've already talked about Raph going to the movie, saying where do they come up with this stuff, uh, he stops two thugs who have just stolen a woman's purse. So much for the no witness thing. Yeah, they're not even stealthy about it. It's literally a snatch a, and grab. Yeah, it's a grab and run. And the whole thing is, even if she didn't see them because they ran by her quickly and grabbed it, it's a clearly crowded room. They don't even try to make it off like, oh, it's somebody who's cutting through an empty alley or something like that. Oh, no, it's a, it's a bustling sidewalk filled with people who all look at it happen. So I, the, the no witnesses is essentially just New Yorkers not getting involved. 
Yeah. That's messed up. Uh, Raph returns the bag and lets them go, which I found strange. Uh, they escape to a park where they're confronted by masked vigilante Casey Jones, played by Elias Codius, who I love, uh, who who beats them with a hockey stick. And that one dude would be so busted up after taking a spinning hockey stick to the face. But he's fine. It just knocks him over. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're definitely towing the line between like live action and the, the kind of cheesiness of the cartoon. Yeah, it's like a, a really dark and gritty take on the Ninja Turtles where nobody gets hurt. Yep. Well, somebody well, gets hurt. I mean, nobody gets real hurt, but <laughs> a couple people, but okay, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about Casey Jones' look here? Uh, very think, true to the imagery that I'm familiar with. Yes. Also very unrealistic, but right out of the comics, he looks amazing. I mean, I guess it, it, it's not too difficult to do a costume that's sweatpants and a cut-off shirt with a vest, but at least they stuck to it and didn't try to change it up. It was the mask for me. The mask was perfect. Oh yeah, fantastic! I didn't even I didn't even notice the rest of what he was wearing. I'm like, that mask is right out of the comics. That's my Casey Jones. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like April, the best they did was at the beginning. She was wearing like a yellow um, raincoat type thing, yeah. which was just an homage to the jumpsuit, which they were originally going to do but chose not to. She didn't want to do it. Oh, that's right. She argued it. She argued a lot, apparently. Yeah, if you look at the trivia, she was not listed as being easy to work with. And that's why they didn't bring her back for the second one, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, Raph breaks up the fight and Casey tries to attack him, leading to a rather comedic fight, resulting in Raph taking a cricket bat to the face and getting stuck in a trash can. Okay, I mean, you want to talk about not getting hurt. He gets hit with a cricket bat to the point that he leaves the ground (laughs) flying into a garbage can. And he's just all right. They both go flying. The actor was not all right, though. No. Um, Broke his nose. Well, yeah, the the helmet mask thing caved in and shattered his nose. Yep. Um, There's one part here that I also really hate. And that's because I was a baseball fan at this point. Okay. And Is it the Jose Canseco bat? Yeah. Don't tell me you paid money for this. Uh, I looked into it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Jose Canseco, who I, I was a massive Oakland A's fan, pretty sure he was doing real well at that point. So I looked it up. And Canseco was at the height of his career. Um, the year before the movie was filming, he was the first player to ever hit 40 home runs and steal 40 bases in one season. So I don't get the dig other than West Coast versus East Coast. Um, not sure. Maybe at maybe at the time of recording, he was playing for a rival team, for example. But what's I saying? Like Oakland versus, say, the Yankees. Yeah. So it, that could have been the reference. But I mean, that's going to be obviously a lot more of a time-based one. That. Yeah. No, it was just a a weird. A weird reference, a weird dig to take. Weird dig, but it definitely allowed for the kind of... Attitude? Like the the, the kind of one-upsman type uh, like dialogue that the two have with each other. Which is great. 
Um, Raphael returns home to a scolding from Splinter, followed by more life advice. The next day, we're introduced to Charles, April's boss. He and his son Danny, the pickpocket from earlier in the film, stopped in at April's apartment out of concern for what happened to her the night before. We also get some background on Danny, who has been uh, who has a strained relationship with his father and has been skipping school. Uh, the scene ends with Danny stealing money from April's wallet. I will always remember the character of Danny from this movie because, and, and I don't mean this in a weird way, but he looks so different and out of place that he's forever a staple when I think of 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I had and forgotten I, about him almost. Really? All. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be also because I don't remember him being a character in the show. I remember Charles, but I found it weird to, for them to introduce his son. Also, I just didn't care. I was eight. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just <laughs> wanted to get back to the Ninja Turtles. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the Turtles see April on a TV police briefing, but so does our villain Shredder. And he is not happy about the journalist mentioning a secret sect of ninjas called the Foot Clan. He tells somebody off screen to find her and silence her. Uh, first take on seeing Shredder live action. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you didn't want to alter his appearance from the cartoon or the original comic books. I think he was in the original comic books, right? It's been a long time. Anyway, you didn't want to alter his look so radically that he didn't represent the same character. Well, I liked the metallic parts of his imagery. I don't really like the fabric portions. Yeah, it's a weird rough purple fabric. It's shiny too. It's sparkly, yeah. Yeah. That didn't that didn't work for me. Uh Raphael is following April as she leaves and heads into the subway. Uh I assume here now trying to get his uh side back. Well, he knows that she has it, right? She took, yeah, he saw it. Yeah. Um, she misses her train and is confronted by members of the Foot Clan. One says they have a message for her. He holds out his hand, balled up in a fist, opens it flat, and slaps her across the face and tells her to shut it. That would not work today, but... No, but could you imagine if they just walked away after that? Didn't even say anything? No no that, message follows? Just slap her in the it. face? <laughs> shut it. And walk away and be like, what? I mean, well, it's actually like, so we see some instances of the Foot Clan where they're ordered to kill this person or that or whatever, right? Later yeah. with Splinter. Their order was to silence her. I mean, you know, quote unquote, what we think of silence someone is to just slap her in the face. Yeah, it's so weird. And aren't they ninjas? Poorly trained thug ninjas? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But next, April brandishes the sigh. So and I don't poorly. Know, well, I, I don't know why she would be carrying it around. It is massive. And I'm sure it's heavy. Yeah, but for, yeah, like you protection. said, she... That'd be exhausting carrying that around. That's massive. But she, anyway, like she, you said, she brandishes it poorly. It gets knocked out of her hand. She holds it like it's a gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. She starts hitting the ninjas with her bag until one of them knocks her out. And she's even like, that's it. I've had enough of this. So You made her angry and she resorted to using her purse. <laughs> but she, she took down a few of them with it. She did. 
But she had a sigh. She didn't use that. It got knocked out of her hand. And then she was angry and went to the more dangerous purse weapon. She would have been better off swinging the bag around with a sigh in it. Yeah, probably. That hurt a lot more. Mm-hmm. Also, after this, Raphael just picks up his weapon, defeats the ninjas, and runs into the subway tunnel with an unconscious O'Neill. Correct. He, he takes saved, her to the turtle. He saved huh? her life. He did save her life. He's a hero. Uh, yeah, I, th- I could agree with that. He takes her to the turtle's hideout and is admonished by Leonardo for his decision. Unbeknownst to Raph, one of the Foot Clan followed them through the tunnels, so he's not a good ninja, uh, and watches them from the shadows. April wakes to see Splinter staring over her and does what most people would do if they saw a three-foot-tall rat looking down on him. She screams. The reaction does not get better when she sees the turtles, and Splinter calms her down and treats us to their origin story. Slightly altered from what I'm familiar with, but yeah. Yeah, I... I do we really need to go into that? No. I think anybody listening to this knows. Um, the, although I'd say the uh, the puppetry and filming everything on Super 8 looked really cool. It was it was uh, well done. And this, this was brand new to me. Uh, I thought one of the turtles sounded like Elmo and then looked it up in uh, IMDb and Wikipedia. And Kevin Clash was the voice of Splinter. So Elmo voiced Splinter and that was Elmo as one of the baby turtles. Yep. That's awesome. Until you find out why Kevin Clash isn't. Uh, They escort April back to her apartment above the antique store her father once owned. Uh, There they share laughs over frozen pizza and Michelangelo's bad impressions. This was always cringeworthy for me. Those impressions. So cringeworthy. Um, Even as a kid, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's terrible. I, I also did like how she says, I'd invite you in, but I don't have anything but frozen pizza. And they do that, like, sped-up camera trick to make the turtle just, like, elevate out of the sewer. Yeah. It was dumb. It didn't go... Because, obviously, they're trying to replicate, like, what you would see from, say, a slapstick visual in a cartoon. Did not carry over well into cinematic. Every time they try and do slapstick in this movie, it looks rough. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, also, April seems to be taking this whole mutated talking turtle thing pretty well. Yeah, she's warmed up to it very quickly. On the walk home. Everything's fine after that walk home. I don't understand it. But, I mean, when we're talking about giant mutated talking ninja turtles, you kind of have to let things go. I mean, they explain the origin story to her. Yeah. One of them saved her life. They got a chance to talk. You know, that's yeah. That's a that's a rapport. They're good, and they're all pretty lovable too, right? Yeah, yeah. Except for Michelangelo doing his impressions. <sighs> yeah. The turtles head home to discover the place completely destroyed and Splinter missing. Raph has a massive breakdown, and they all go back to April's apartment. Uh, this scene felt unnecessary. I don't really understand why it's here, but it's uh, Police Police Chief Stearns is looking over Danny's arrest record and calls Charles to question him about his son. I don't know why Stearns is singling Danny out. Um, If there are no witnesses to the crimes, which we've already stated there are, then what's this kid been doing in broad daylight? 
blatantly in front of other people. It, and then it just cuts to April and the turtles. Well, I mean, it seems like the police officer is calling her boss to bribe him, right, with his son's arrest to get. Oh, that's right, to getting her to keep quiet. To keep quiet, but at the same time, it's like, wow, I feel really dumb for missing that. But at the same time, it's like it's they don't try to show that he's like a corrupt police officer. The only thing he doesn't like is that she calls the police to arms to say, do like do a better job. Yeah. Right. It would make more sense if he was under the shredder's thumb or something like that. Yeah. Oh, God, it's still so embarrassing. I missed that. Uh, Because the next morning, April and the turtles are woken up by Charles knocking on the front door. He's there to tell April to take some time off to de-stress. And during the conversation, Danny spots a reflection of Michelangelo hiding under a table. Charles almost discovers Donatello hiding in the shower. And April ushers them both out in a weird scene that I feel didn't really add anything to the story. No. Also, why would Michelangelo hide under a table that is open on all four sides? He's not the smartest one. But he's not that stupid. I found it weird. Yeah, but it's a movie. I get it. Yeah, I think maybe <laughs> this is where they're trying to be funny. Yeah, a lot of the humor here does land pretty flat. Yeah. Uh, outside, Charles lectures Danny about stealing before Danny jumps out of the car and runs away. Cut to the warehouse hangout of the Foot Clan, where we see teens smoking, gambling, and partying, and being all around delinquents. Uh, not a lot of alcohol drinking, though, uh, but there's a copious amount of empty Pepsi cans. For another sponsor. Yeah. A lot. Like hundreds of them. Um, Kids they, like they pretty, Yeah. They have pretty cool arcade too. And skate ramps for sure. Kind of reminded me of uh, that club in uh, Hackers. Um, there's also a cool bit with Sam Rockwell again. Uh, introduced to Tatsu. Uh, and the mini arena used to train the kids how to fight. We hear a gong signaling that Shredder is going to be speaking, and everyone drops what they're doing to congregate for the speech. Um, yeah, this is where we get full view of Shredder's costume. And like I said, it did pretty good for a live adaptation, but yeah, the shiny, sparkly purple was weird. Especially if you look up the imagery of, of even him in like the 80s cartoon, it's made to look more like a one-piece breastplate type thing. Yeah. You could have at least tried to go for like a chainmail look or... or something but even if it wasn't shiny would have been okay right i don't i don't yeah like some weird like matte fabric or something that was just like it didn't grab your attention immediately because every time he's on screen and there's a light source you're like it's pretty sparkly even if if the physique is not fantastic you could do like a molded plastic like a batman costume just for for the chest piece um and then that would be easy to spray paint like a metallic color right yeah I don't get yep. the decision. I, I get that it's low budget, but I feel like there might have been better options with a low budget. Oh, yeah, you're not wrong. There are many better decisions uh, that could have been made for his costume, but at least what we got didn't look completely ridiculous. Can I touch back to another trivia point? Yeah. The scene where Tatsu fights. Mm-hmm. And then kicks the kid after saying, never take your eyes off an opponent or whatever. Oh, yeah, I know what you're going to say here. Apparently, in the original version, he kills the kid. Yeah. And then, obviously, producers and distribution companies did not like that from a property meant for children. And that's why they made it that he kind of, like, 
like moans and then one of the other kids is just kind of like voice off screen says oh he'll be all right type thing yeah i think it i think it was after being submitted to the rating board that they were like yeah we gotta change that yeah i mean you just don't want to go around murdering children in a property that while this movie wasn't really meant for the fans of the cartoon i think it was meant for fans of the cartoon who had grown up a little bit more so yeah it it does make sense but at least this wasn't geared towards like six-year-olds not to mention that like tatsu fights him because he's impressed with his progression from beating the other kid. His, his, yeah, well, why wouldn't you beat the shit out of him then, right? Yeah. As a reward. Oh, we'll kill the strong ones. That will weed out our yeah. army into shitty ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Things are going very well here. We should probably stunt our growth. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, where was I? Back to the Shredder speech. Uh, this starts off uh, as inducting kids into the Foot Clan before Shredder lobbies the kids with his mission. Uh, we also discover a chain splinter held captive elsewhere in the compound. Shredder mentions the turtles as being the new enemies, and Danny steps forward with information. Maybe that's why I remember Danny, too, because he's a piece of shit. He is a bit of a piece of shit, yeah. Uh, the turtles are still at April's watching her be interviewed on television about the Foot Clan. Stearns calls and screams at Charles, and as April is questioned about her saviors... Or... As April is questioned about her saviors on the night of her mugging. Yeah, sorry. The turtles argue over what they're going to do to rescue Splinter. As usual, hot-headed Raph storms off. He goes to the roof to blow off steam, but is spotted from a distance by Casey Jones. Unbeknownst to the turtle, the Foot Clan are sneaking up on him from behind. That, uh, that That's build, twice now. That building looks much higher up than what seemed like a two-story building when they first arrived with April. Yeah, two, three tops. Yeah. Yeah. It almost looks like, uh, yeah, I'd say like a high-rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ninjas disarm him, and after taking some hits, they overpower the amphibian and completely beat the shit out of him, throwing him through a skylight and sending him crashing to the floor of April's apartment. The Foot Clan follows, and we have three turtles against the army of ninjas. Um... Really cool fight for the most part. A very serious fight. But again, like you said before, like they bring in weird slapstick comedy and even play some circus music, which eventually turns darker, but it really threw off the intensity of what was happening in the scene. Well, you have like Michelangelo backing up one of the Foot Clan into a spot where April can hit him from above with a stick. Yeah, and it's just like Michelangelo hit him like three or four times to back him up. Why didn't you just finish him off? Like it, it just it falls flat if it's trying to be kind of like tongue in cheek humor, cute type thing during the fight. In what is otherwise, like you mentioned, a really serious and well done fight. Yeah, like Raphael's almost dead on the floor, and they're joking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, more Foot Clan drop through the skylight, and the floor gives way, sending everyone crashing into the antique store below. Casey Jones, referred to as Wayne Gretzky on steroids, appears, hockey stick in hand, ready to defend Raph. Fire erupts and our heroes escape through a trap door that leads into the basement, but before Casey follows, he overhears Charles leaving a message on April's answering machine letting her know that she's been fired. Police sirens fill the street and the Foot Clan disappears. A troubled Danny watches the blaze engulf the building from a rooftop in the distance. How is that answering machine working? I don't know, that cord's on fire, that would have melted a long time ago. Not just that, but when they bring out the axes, one of them cuts the power. 
Also, there's no phone line attached to it. It's the AC plug. There's a lot of good questions here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shredder Assault Splinter questioning him about what the turtles are and how they know how to fight so well. Uh, And this here is where Tatsu loses it and assaults the new Foot Clan recruits. Um, Danny witnesses the assault and sneaks off to talk to Splinter, who again doles out life advice. Because that's mostly what Splinter does in this movie. I feel like that's uh, kind of what they could do because as good as the animatronics and costumes were for the turtles, the splinter yeah. one didn't work so well. I don't know if it was necessarily the capabilities of motion because it wasn't mm-hmm. like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that was more like that was a puppeteer type situation oh, yeah. rather than somebody oh, in a yeah. costume. And yeah. I feel like that's all they could really do with it. I do have to say that they did a great job of getting the cheese out of his fur. <laughs> uh, April, Casey, and the Turtles hide out at an old country farmhouse owned by April's family. Casey drops the news that she was fired and she loses her shit. She's incredibly rude to him. She's not likable in this movie in general. Can you imagine they're filming just an interaction between the two of them just to catch it and then they're like, action! And then she starts acting they're like, we're not going to use this. <laughs> <laughs> we already got what we need. <laughs> Uh, an April voiceover fills us in on character development. Casey and Donnie are quickly becoming friends. Leonardo is watching over Raph and lamenting his fallen brother and missing father. Raph is being kept in a half-full bathtub every now and then, having water poured over him. April goes back to Casey, where it's revealed a romance is slowly growing. I had a bit of a problem with this. Okay. Um, they couldn't give something to Michelangelo here? Yeah, he's not really around that much. But she goes over, like, Donatello's creating a relationship with Casey Jones, Leonardo's sitting over Raphael, Michelangelo, who cares, whatever, he's somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, who cares about the dumb one? Yeah. (laughs) He did these impressions for me the other day, I I laughed, I was nice about it, but... But We're all all in agreement here, he sucks, right? Yeah, I don't want to see that again. Yeah. (laughs) The other three are like, we only hang out with them because there's only four of us in the world. And not that it shouldn't be the case, but I always felt like this description of the relationship that Donatello and Casey Jones were developing was always the relationship between Raphael and Casey Jones. It's kind of like how the original X-Men movie gave, like, the Wolverine and Rogue relationship, the one that we saw with Wolverine and Jubilee in the animated series and Wolverine and Kitty Pride in the original comic books. It just felt like they were kind of mixing it up for plot convenience. I agree. I did like it though. I loved how they were insulting each other, making up terms to go along with each letter of the alphabet. Yep. Yeah, no, it was well done. I just felt that like it did feel a little off. Because that's not that's not Donatello either. Right? Oh god no. He'd be off like Oh, at least they have him working on something mechanical like the truck. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Raphael eventually wakes up and the brothers reunite. Another voiceover lets us know that no matter how hard they focus or train, they still can't overcome their greatest fear, the loss of Splinter. Shredder and Tatsu converse about Danny being missing and how Shredder finds the turtle's fighting style disturbing. It reminds us of something from the past. More romance development between Casey and April here. Uh, Casey takes a break from preparing vegetables with a katana to forcefully give April a massage. 
And Michelangelo also suffers from stiff muscles, but he can solve it with some turtle wax. Oh. <laughs> no. That's all I have yeah. to say about that. It was a strangely aggressive start to a scene, topped off with a really shitty joke. Yeah. Leo has a vision of Splinter and interrupts his brother's game of Trivial Pursuit to have a weird meditation session that night in an attempt to contact their father. It is a success, and Splinter tells them they have finally learned to work together and they must continue this if they want to succeed. Before the apparition vanishes, it lets them know that he loves them all. The now regrouped brothers tell Casey and April it's time to go back to the city. They begin tidying up their home, and after the destruction by the Foot Clan, they hear a noise in a closet. Turns out Danny's been hiding there and wants to stay the night. Casey freaks out about them having to stay in a sewer, and Donnie calls him a claustrophobic. Casey freaks out and states he's never even looked at another man before and decides to go sleep in the truck. Which seems like a counterproductive alternative if you're claustrophobic to sleep in a smaller space. At least there are windows, though. That's true. Plus, plus these are jokes that fit in the 90s and nowhere after. I think I figured out where Michelangelo was when uh, April was doing those drawings. Where? He was picking some funky mushrooms to put on their pizza, because that's how they had this psychedelic dream of Splinter. Perfect. Make it canon. <laughs> May as well give him some story, man. They just abandoned him. Yeah, I mean, it was an innocent mistake. He saw some mushrooms. The, the next scene here... As a child, I'm like, oh, that's a horrible idea. When uh, Danny is in awe over the drawings April has done of the turtles and asks to keep one of Leo. I'm like, mm, that's coming up. Eight years old, I'm like, plot device. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty obvious, yeah. That night, his dreams are plagued by a war of words between Shredder and Splinter telling him what he needs to do. He wakes up and leaves the den, going back to the Foot Clan, unknowingly being followed by Casey. They couldn't just put a little shredder and splinter on his two shoulders? like That I would expect to see in like the third movie. That I just mean that like they, they... eight-year-old you saw it coming, and I think even younger would have figured it out. Like It was just so heavy-handed. Oh yeah, definitely. But it is what it is. At least they don't dwell on Danny a whole lot in the movie. Good. Um, yeah. But he does return to see Splinter, who gives him more origin story about how as a rat he mimicked his master, Hamato Yoshi's martial arts moves. Eventually his master was murdered by a rival, Oroku Saki, because they loved the same woman. Uh, Saki had also killed the woman in the struggle. Splinter's cage was open and he attacked the intruder, scratching his face. He says nobody knows what happened to that man, but Danny is wearing his symbol on his headband. Now, again, as a kid, I turned to Dad. I'm like, you know this, right, Dad? And he's like, yeah, I've seen a cartoon. I understand. They don't need to be mysterious about this. It's a little disappointing. It really is. But it's okay, man. It's live-action Ninja Turtles. We've never seen it before. Everything's fine. All right, yeah, let's keep going. Shredder corners Danny, demanding to know what he's doing and where he's been. He also notices that Danny has thrown his headband on the ground. He pulls paper out of Danny's pocket, unfolding it to reveal <gasps> April's drawing of Leo. Shredder tells Tatsu that he's going to deal with the turtles himself, and that Tatsu must kill the rat. Danny discovers Casey and recruits him to help save Splinter before this could be. Uh, the Foot Clan invade the turtles' home, 
but have unwittingly entered a trap and are all defeated in seconds in a mist of steam. I'm assuming that's the other fight you were talking about where we don't actually see the fight happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, it goes along with the spirit of the movie, but it's obviously uh, a tactic. I mean, at least they introduce more Foot Clan after... I think yeah, it's Raphael yeah. says, well, that was too easy. I wish there was more of them. And then, of course, there's more of them. Uh, we get another great Casey scene here. Just a single movement uh, when Danny and Casey go to get Splinter. Um, Casey's immediately hesitant when he sees the giant rat, but gives a what the fuck shrug of the shoulders and they unshackle a vermin martial arts master. Well, I mean, uh, he just spent some time with giant turtles. It probably yeah. doesn't take him as long now that he's seeing a giant rat. My I know, question my expression, though, on his face is like, what the... F- oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, Your question? Where's Tatsu? He Shredder tells Tatsu to kill Splinter. And then in that time, uh, Casey, who kind of reveals that he had somehow gotten a foot soldier mask, which I guess we're just not meant to question, reveals himself to Danny. They say they got to go save Splinter. They go and untie him. Was he taking the long way there? I don't know, because that's a lot done before he shows up. Yeah. But when he does, he beats Casey severely. And I was shocked at this, because this is another murder done by the good guys. When Casey comes out on top by finding a golf club in the trash and just cracks him in the head with it, sending him flying. They're confronted by pre-Foot Clan thugs who back down after a good talking to. Yeah. The violence the violence in this movie is very unbalanced. Correct. Uh, the Foot Clan are in full retreat into the streets now as the Turtles are giving them the beating of a lifetime. The fight works its way to a nearby rooftop where the beating continues. That is until Shredder arrives. Uh, and here, I know this is going to be a major problem for you. Because this is obviously the strongest and most skilled enemy they've ever fought but the turtles decide to attack him one at a time. That's like the worst tactic that every group of enemies in a movie or cartoon does. It's worse, though. It's worse here. Let's surround him and then one at a time get him. And do you know what makes it the worst grievance of this tactic? Is that they do it again after they all get beaten up. Yeah, because they have a cut. Uh, like a screen cut, right, to another scene. And when they come yeah. back to it, Michelangelo's like, you know, can somebody fill me in on where we lost control of the situation? And they do it again. Yep. They just do the exact same thing over. Yep. April, Danny, Casey, Splinter, and the new th- or new thugs, I guess new friendly thugs, uh, are now at the ground level of the building. Casey sees some book clan climbing a ladder to the roof and rams it with a garbage truck. Uh, the Turtles discover that Shredder had Splinter this whole time, and he tells them that their master is dead. Leo rushes him in a rage and is taken down easily. Not Shredder. a Leonardo move. Nah. No, not a not a rage move that Leo would do. Raphael, uh, sure. 100%, yeah. I could even see Donatello doing that, since he's not, like... He's not really in touch with his emotional side, but he can kind of get flustered from time to time. I've seen it in the cartoons, anyway, where he'll just kind of like go off and it backfires. Yeah. Um, Shredder gets the turtles to throw away their weapons. Not seeing. Uh, uh, okay. I need to know the proper pronunciation of this. 
Because everywhere I look up, it's nunchaku or nunchucks. What do you say? I say nunchucks. I'll go with nunchucks. Not seeing that Mikey's nunchucks catch on the ladder. Before Shredder can kill Leo, Splinter arrives on the roof. I don't know how. Uh, the masked man removes his face guard, revealing the scars the rat gave him years ago. He rushes the rat with a spear, but is parried by Splinter, who uses the nunchucks he found on the ladder to swing Shredder over the edge of the roof. Shredder eventually falls and lands in the back of the garbage truck. And over the top, Casey Jones yells, oops, and hits the lever, which causes the truck to crush our villain. I remember that being really messed up as a child, seeing that. Well, it's murder. Um, yeah, but just seeing like the, the helmet being crushed as well. I was like, mm. So Shredder recognized the three-foot rat? How? I don't know. That gave him the scar because it looks like the same regular size rat that cut him. Yeah, uh, that, that that tiny caged rat that scratched my face. There's some tie between him and this three foot talking ninjutsu martial arts master rat. I know it. Cool. <laughs> yeah, right. The police arrive. Uh, Danny gives April back the money he stole and runs to find his father. The two have a bonding moment. Charles tries to convince April to cover the story, even giving her a massive raise and a corner office. Stearns demands answers from the thugs, and Sam Rockwell just gives him the address of the warehouse. More flirting between Casey and April, and the two eventually kiss while the turtles cheer cheer them from the roof above. The brothers try to come up with the best word to describe their victory, and Splinter chimes in that he always liked Cowabunga. Cue the turtle power song and roll credits. Not the best ending. You forgot that Splinter somehow thinks that by saying, I always liked Cowabunga, he made a funny. Yep. Where's the joke in that? I don't know. You guys are the next one. You guys are a loss at a word. You guys are at a loss for words on this one. How about this word? Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was uh, Ninja Turtles. It sure was. <laughs> uh, I know we went through that plot really fast, but it's so easy to do. Um, there's a lot of fighting scenes. There's no point in breaking them all down. Uh, critiquing them, yes, but doing a play-by-play is pointless. Um, what was your overall feeling watching this again? So I said to Liz couple of days ago when we were talking about what movie we're reviewing next and i believe i said to her i wish ben didn't pick this and i could have left it in my nostalgia i'm sorry man i didn't think that would happen it it, 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 same for me too though it was a tough watch it was something that i really really regret watching with a critical eye but to be honest even if i didn't watch it for the purposes of reviewing it. I don't know if I would have found the same enjoyment out of it today simply because when I was a kid and I was so incredibly caught up in my fandom of the Ninja Turtles, I could forgive almost anything. But in this movie, they, first of all, I don't know why based on the timing, the licensing, any reason that they didn't use the cartoon theme song anywhere in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They made April O'Neil so unlikable. The Ninja Turtles, like, I can forgive little mistakes. Like, there's a few times where 
Donatello's mouth moves, but it's the voice actor for Leonardo, for example. Little yeah. things like that I can forgive, but completely messing up their personalities feels like an unforgivable sin by the movie makers because that is essentially like why we have favorites yeah right like yeah, you you heart I, I i can't assume for you but i would have to imagine that you're liking donatello the most is not because he alphabetically comes up with insults with casey jones because that's not something you would have seen in any other material no, no. I, I like Donatello because I like the weapon he used, but he was also like the MacGyver of the group. And he didn't really get that in this. He No, he didn't do anything like that. Like, they worked on fixing a truck, but he didn't do anything else mechanical or technical or even just intelligent. Nope. I mean, Raphael was a bit of a hothead. Fine. Which is, yeah. That, that is his personality, and... But to be honest, a lot of the times, like when he gets actually, like when he actually gets beaten up, he's just on the roof blowing off steam. That could have been any of them. That could have been Leonardo meditating on the roof because he was upset that Splinter was gone. So I don't think it played into his like lone wolf or bad attitude that much. And I don't like how they allowed him to be followed and like, like tracked twice. And there's no way all of those ninjas, all the Foot Clan, would have been able to sneak up on him based off of the character that we grew up with and the information that we have about him. Yeah. I think the only character that was true to form probably was Michelangelo. Yes, and even that, based on the restrictions of this, was so toned down that it didn't feel like him. It felt like like a no-name brand Michelangelo. Yeah. It's almost like... The people that made the movie, and technically I really enjoy this film, but the people that made this movie were making it for an audience that loved the property, but the filmmakers didn't really know the show. So how did they expect to deliver like a fucking home run with what they presented us? I don't know, man. I don't think it's a bad movie. I still think it's probably the best Ninja Turtles movie we've got. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm sorry, man. I I don't think I can say it's the best Ninja Turtles we've gotten. I'm having difficulty placing it in the top three right now. I I haven't liked any of the others that I've seen outside of two. And I know two's bad. That one's a pure nostalgia trip. Two, Uh, Two is bad, but I firmly believe... And I'd have to be proven wrong, and very likely could be proven wrong by rewatching it. But I feel like it would have aged better. Um, I feel like if I watch that one today, it probably wouldn't be as disheartening as this one was. And I think that's because part two is out and out a comedy with action scenes. Oh, and that's just it. I think in this one, they they didn't fully commit to the dark side of like the Ninja Turtles comic books. And they didn't fully commit to the over-the-top cartoonish aspect of the 80s cartoon. You're kind of trying to find this balance in between the two, and it just doesn't work. One way or the other, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, uh, pick one or the other. Uh, There might be a way that they could do both with the property, but they definitely didn't do it properly here. Yeah, and that's why I think that 2, even though it's 
to my recollection, not a great movie, but one that I enjoyed. I think it would have mm-hmm. aged better simply because they did just lean in all the way on the one aspect. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a smarter move for sure. Um, I'm assuming you probably enjoyed what the the first CG TMNT movie. Yeah, the TMNT movie uh, was fantastic and completely underrated. Um, and then I hated the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. I loved the Michael Bay sequel, Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, I couldn't finish it. I think that the reason that I loved the second one was much like the second, like the, the Secret of the Ooze. They... Mm-hmm. Uh, like they abandoned what they were doing in the first one and just went over the top ridiculous. Like there's a scene where Bebop and Rocksteady drive a tank out of a river, right? Oh yeah. Like they just completely leaned into the ridiculous over the topness of the, the like early cartoon. And once I got past the atrocious look of the Ninja Turtles and the newer movies, I actually really enjoyed the second one. Okay. But, yeah. I'll give it another shot. No, give it a shot where you actually finish it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go to numbers, man. Yeah, well, this was a low-budget movie. Uh, independent feature. Actually, it was the highest-grossing independent movie up until uh, Blair Witch came out. Um, it was made for only $13 million and worldwide grossed $202 million. So, I mean, the fan base was there. They knew it was going to make money. It's not a surprise, right? Like, when I was a kid, I had to go see it. It didn't matter. And if if I recall correctly, it was my aunt that came to see it with me and my cousin. Mm -hmm. Um, So right there, that's three tickets, right? And it didn't matter what the result of that movie was. They were getting those three tickets. (laughs) Yeah. Same, uh, same for me. And my dad, like that was a guaranteed movie. As soon as I'm pretty sure, as soon as he found out it was coming out, he's like, "God damn it!" <laughs> All right, just, uh, just real quick, looking at the IMDb, I don't know if you looked at the uncredited section. Oh yeah, Skeet Ulrich and uh, Scott Wolf. Scott Wolf, yeah, as of the thugs. Crazy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway, all right, go on. Uh, as far as uh, ratings go, like. If you're on IMDb, you see it's a 6.8 out of 10. I think that might be a little high. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, though, is much more divisive. Uh, Tomato Meter, the critics gave it a 40%, and the audience gave it 84. This is not an 84% movie. I have to believe that that's nostalgia carrying that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, as I've made it very clear in the past, Ninja Turtles was my main thing. By the time I came to Canada... I had missed like the early 80s cartoons and Ninja Turtles was the thing that I really got into and I carried that with me to the point, like I said, I watched the 2000 animated series as a young adult and I didn't mm-hmm. like this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get into the awards then. Um, My- yeah. Yeah, let's do the awards, I guess. <laughs> I-, I think it's pretty pretty obvious who the worst performance is going to be for me and that's michael turnett or turnay however you pronounce his last name who played danny pennington 
I found that he never really fit into any scene and he was incredibly awkward in his performance. And that might be why he's only done a handful of acting roles. See, you and I saw that very differently because I felt that that was intentional. It felt like Danny was supposed to be an awkward teen who couldn't find his place. I didn't get that feeling at all. That's why I said you and I saw that very differently, right? Yeah. Um, It might have been that that wasn't the intention and that he did a bad job of it. But when I saw it, I thought that that was maybe more the idea because... If, if you think about the movie, who had the most character development? Um, or say, sorry, character growth. Well, him going from a troubled teen to trying to be nice with his father. Eh. I don't know. You could argue, yes, he has the most character development, but that's not why I'm watching a Ninja Turtles movie. I character development and performance of the character development are different as well. No, I, I get that. I get that. But I, it just, it didn't didn't come off that way to me not to say that that's a bad choice but I, yeah. I was a little bit more forgiving of it because i felt like it it fit the character a little bit more because it it seemed like he was always supposed to stand out maybe yeah who do you pick so i was so close to picking josh pays as Raphael, and oh, that, yeah? that would have pained me to do but I ultimately had to go with Judith Hogue as April O'Neil. Okay. She sucked. And I, now, actually, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing about her that you thought about Danny. I'm thinking that is the character as it was written. Like, I even just think to the scene in the apartment when Michelangelo is doing the impressions. And she says, that must be Splinter's favorite when he does the you dirty rat line. Right? Yeah. And then just kind of looks around waiting for somebody to call her on it before she very unconvincingly says it was a joke. Yeah. It just I don't know. Scenes like that. Yeah, I just I don't know. I'm going to be honest, maybe part of it was influenced by reading how much of a terror she was on set. But yeah, that could but I, it was a coin flip between her and the voice of Raphael too, which is also. Difficult. I loved his voice. I think it was the performance, like when they see that Splinter is gone, and he just yells "Splinter" with his hands that above was his head. Terrible. Yeah, like there was some parts where it was a fine voice actor, but had portions that really fell flat. Yeah. What about best performance? I think you and I are going to ultimately agree on this one, but I went with Elias Coteus as Casey Jones. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, after this rewatching, he's not just the best performance. He's my favorite character in this movie. Yep. Yeah, same. There's, there's no two ways about it. He is my favorite performance in this, and he, in my opinion, is the best character in the movie. Yeah. He's entertaining, he's got comedic parts, he contributes to the fantastic fight scenes, which, yeah, some of the choreograph uh, fight scenes are very well done in this movie, the ones that they didn't shy away from, right? Yeah. And he also performed all of it fantastically. Like, you were even alluding to, 
the, the, the facial expression and the mannerisms when he sees Splinter, yep. you can see right away that he has this initial thought of, oh, a giant, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, right? Like, he conveys it well. Yeah, and just like a quick, quick, like, twitch of the face and a shrug of the shoulder, and you summed up, like, three lines of dialogue. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of the scenes that he's in, he carries. Um, yep. The scene with Donatello, the fight scene in the park with Raphael. Even when he's getting, like, obviously not when he hits Tatsu with the golf club, but when he's getting beaten up by Tatsu and he's still throwing out, like, the, I don't know if you would call them one-liners, but, like, the snippets, the quips. Oh, yeah. It's all super entertaining. So, easy choice for best performance. Yep. Um, what about for a memorable line or favorite line? Well, that's your start. I started best performance. My favorite line and memorable line are different. I will always remember I made a funny, and it it makes me fucking angry. Um, <laughs> it's a bad line, man. And my most memorable line, or my favorite line, I guess, that was most memorable. My favorite, uh, I didn't realize it until I was thinking about like quoting the movie, and it was actually Raphael fighting the Foot Clan on the roof of April's apartment. And I thought that this is where Josh Pace did a great job because he's like, I mean, come on, how do you guys ever expect to beat me? And like a second wave of ninjas just like creep into the scene. He's like, good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Backing light. It's like, that's great. It makes me laugh every time in what is like a pretty intense scene. And when they do the more like top view shot of that or higher, it, yeah. The second wave of ninjas is like three times as big. It's, oh, yeah. And this is one of the few instances where putting comedy into an intense scene really, really hit home. Really did a great job. I think it's because of the type of comedy. It's not like a slapstick. It's not like an over-the-top. It is mm -hmm. more of a quip that takes place in a scene, right? That's very different from trying to do a visual stunt in a fight, right? Um, so my favorite line is actually by my least favorite, favorite performer, um, April O'Neil, uh, <laughs> and it's not her delivery. It's, it's the way it was written, but when the foot clan confront her in the subway and they're like, we've been waiting for you, Miss O'Neill. And she says, and probably what wouldn't be a very racially sensitive line in a movie today Am I behind on my Sony payments again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I don't even remember that line. <laughs> She's confronted with ninjas. <laughs> she names Sony. Wow, April. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it might have been the only time that I actually, like, enjoyed a scene she was in. And it was more the writing of the scene than it was right like her yeah. so i don't know I, I thought that was good <laughs> uh memorable scene <sighs> oh, that doesn't sound good so it's probably the only other scene with april o'neill i liked and again okay. it's not because of her performance it's just that she held it together 
And it was the scene at the farmhouse when she was drawing the turtles and narrating their emotional conflicts. Yeah. Yeah, I could see why you would pick that. I don't want to give her any credit for it because, I mean, that could have just as easily been Casey Jones or Michelangelo it, doing it's the narration. It's incredibly emotional. Yes. That scene. Yes. Um, had to go with a different type of emotion for the scene. Uh, it also takes place at the uh, at the farmhouse, and it goes back to what you were saying about uh, Coteus being able to just say so much without saying a single word. And it's after the argument that April and Casey have, and he's leaning back on that swinging chair eating an apple, and one of the chains breaks, <laughs> and he just like slides down and hits his ass on the armrest of the other side of the bench and he looks so stunned and embarrassed and he's trying to pull it off as being cool and he just sells it so well i remember that scene from the first time i saw it and every time i think about it it makes me laugh there's even like a subtle eye roll at the end like he just gave up like yeah there's yeah. nobody here or whatever right <laughs> yeah it's like nobody saw that it was a great scene it's not my most memorable probably just because it's oh there are so many so many you could pick I mean, I think it would be tougher to pick a scene with him that's not good, but... Yeah. But I also love things like him showing up to defend Raphael, even though all they've ever done is have a fight. Yeah, he and just, I mean... He's somebody he had encountered before getting the shit kicked out of them, and the first thing he thinks is, I'm going to go help him. But, like... That's the like that's the part of the relationship between the two of them that I'm familiar with because they've always yeah. had this like friendly competition rivalry type y you know what I mean? Yeah. And even in the park they they fight, but it's pretty clear that they're not fighting to try and hurt the other person so much. Oh, it's it's one upping the other for sure. Exactly. And he shows up, and, and he even says, he's like, what are you guys doing to my little green friend or something like that, right? Yep. Not that he's little by any means, because the <laughs> turtles are like six feet tall. And then he gets distracted by, oh, who's the babe? Which, now that I mention it, there's so many mentions in the movie about how attractive April is. Yeah. I don't think she's very attractive. That's fine. I'm sure a lot of people do. I would like to meet these people <laughs> and ask them how. Maybe you just don't like 90s style. I'm fairly certain that it wouldn't be a very difficult exercise to find a 90s actress that is attractive with a very similar style. I wouldn't say she's unattractive. That's just mean. I'm not saying she's unattractive, but like they make it out like celebrity status you know, people's 50 most attractive people. Like, she stops people in their tracks who are like, who's the babe? I don't know about that. I don't know. You've got the turtles who have never interacted with a human woman before, and you got Casey Jones who looks like he sleeps in garbage. The fact that anybody's <laughs> talking to any of them, I'm sure they're loving it. <laughs> Well, I mean, in the turtle's defense, the first time they see her and call her attractive is on the news report. So, I'm sure they see a lot of attractive women on television. I guess. I don't think we really need to go into how attractive Judith Hogue is or not, though. 
Yeah, I got sidetracked. Sorry. Yeah. Um, final recommendation, dude. Um, I would recommend watching this. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you're the viewers going to love it, but uh, it if only to watch it for the fact that it was the first live action Ninja Turtles movie. It was the first full on attempt at getting this out there. Before that, we only had comic books, action figures, cartoons. So what they managed to put on screen is incredibly impressive, though the story is lacking uh, quality. It's still fun to look at, but you can't you can't dig into it for a review like we did here, or else you'll just ruin it for yourself. Um, it's also definitely not a movie for everybody. Uh, maybe like If you're a comic book fan and you want to see one of the more well-done comic book movies, definitely check it out. But uh, there's a lot better out there, and there's more enjoyable Turtles movies out there. You? So let me just clarify how much Ninja Turtles means to me. All right? Even today, at 37 years old, I have a coaster on my desk in front of me every time we record, and it is a coaster of Raphael. I was worried you were going to say you dress up as Raphael for Halloween to this day. No, but if you recall, I'm not really like a big decorating person. I don't have a lot no. of knickknacks or posters or any, to be honest. The one thing I do have that's been on my desk for probably a decade is a glass coaster of Raphael. And it never leaves my desk, which is like my sacred place. Coming You're from coming from someone like that, I don't think I want to recommend this movie. I can't express to you how disappointed I am <laughs> at having gone back and rewatched this movie. And it is not something I was expecting. I was eagerly anticipating watching it when you said that this was going to be the movie this week. And it was almost like an hour and a half of crushing my childhood. Yeah, I thought I was doing you a favor here. And then as I was about halfway in, I was like, hmm, Mason Dunn messed up. Dude, I thought you were doing me a favor as well. At this point, I would say just go back and watch some of the cartoons instead. Or if you can find the comics, there is so many other mediums to get a better origin story on the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it, yeah, there really is. And again, I say this without going back and rewatching it, but I think if somebody said, you know, do you recommend one of these? I would say just watch The Secret of the Ooze. Because I know you said that the animatronics got worse. If I'm not mistaken, it wasn't until the third one that they changed it. The success of the first one was so big that they turned around and commissioned the sequel almost just like a year later. And I think they used primarily a lot of the same resources. Nope. No? Nope. I can say for a fact they did not. They oh, wanted to make them easier to move around in. A lot of them are streamlined and they don't look as well out of proportion. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm just pulling it up. Because there's right. a lot more fighting, visible fight scenes in two than in one. And they needed to be more flexible. So I'm just pulling up some images of it. It doesn't look like a huge drop-off. No, you'll notice it in the facial animation, though. Yeah, okay, it's I can see a that. Steady, steady decline until you get to three where they just shit the bed. Oh, three is just bad. 
three yeah. is absolutely terrible. But I, yeah, I think I would still at this at this point I would say chance it on the second one instead. Yeah, if you want to watch a Ninja Turtles movie for pure fun, watch part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest. I think I would even sooner recommend the animated uh, TMNT movie. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but it does have a large fan base. I mean, before all of my physical movie collections were stolen, I did have the DVD box set of all three of these, and I did have the Blu-ray of the TMNT movie. And I'm pretty sure that I watched that animated one Three or four times, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I would recommend that one. All right. Anyways, that's our thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. If you guys <laughs> want to share your thoughts, if you want to get mad at us for <laughs> pulling the veil of nostalgia off of this one, you can hit us up on social media. We are, of course, at BS Bargain Bin on Twitter. On Facebook, you can email us, bsbargainbin at outlook.com. And I'm kind of and afraid to ask now. No, based- I got to say, if you're going to come at us, too, about ruining your nostalgia, watch the movie first, then send your email. Yeah. Well, I mean, they should have watched the movie before listening to this episode, but no. not everybody does. <laughs> uh, I'm actually worried to ask this now. Um, ben. Yes, sir. What are we watching next week? Well, that depends wholly on you, because I'm trying something different here. I've made a list of six genres and subgenres of movies. Each has a movie attached to it. I'm not going to tell you what the movie is, but you're going to pick the genre or subgenre. That's a lot of pressure, man. I'm not ready for this. Number one, vampires. Number two, werewolves. Number three, Post-apocalyptic. Okay. Number four, general comedy. Number five, action. And last at number six, the new guy in town genre. That is, that is a, you've cast a wide net, sir. I try. Um, we've done a couple of vampire movies. We've done werewolf movies. Have we done post-apocalyptic? I guess kind of, but it was like post-apocalyptic vampire movie. <laughs> Stakeland, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, uh, comedy is like that could be anything. Mm-hmm. Action could be anything. Mm-hmm. New guy in town. Oof. Let's do post-apocalyptic. Okay. Well, that means that next week we are watching 2014's Turbo Kid. Yes! <laughs> I will destroy you with my Turbo Glove, the ultimate weapon against the robot threat. But to be a true hero, you'll have to save your girlfriend. Hey! What's that in your hand? It's a, it's a, it's a comic book. What's it about? It's about a Turbo Rider. <gasps> That's rad! I always wonder what the other side looked like. It's kind of gray and dusty. Well, I could show you. Around here, we like to do things with a little more joie de vie. Ah!
Where is she? Release the girl. This is gonna get ugly. As you may know, the situation is critical. We have reached maximum casualty level. Who exactly are you supposed to be? Turbo Rider. This is it, soldier. We have to hit these sand machines with everything we've got. Find them, kill them, and me back their heads on bikes. I'm meeting up with an old mate. We're going straight to Zeus. Ah, what do you say? Turbo Rider. But you could totally be Turbo Kid. <laughs> Until next week, guys. Have a good one. All the best, guys. <laughs>